0: So let's read from God's Word. Uh, I want you to turn with me please to Isaiah chapter 52 and we'll read from verse 13 and read through into and to the end of chapter 53. Again like this morning's passage a very well-known part of Holy Scripture and as will become evident after our second reading a passage of Scripture that relates to Uh, our sermon for this evening. So let's read then from Isaiah chapter 52 and beginning at verse number 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned every one to his own way. And was numbered with the transgressors; yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. So reads God's word, and we pray that even the public reading of it will be blessed to our hearts for our spiritual profit. Uh, Let's turn to our Bibles again, please, and read together from Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter eight. We're going to read from verse number four. To verse number 8 and then from verse number 26 and following. Just while you're looking that up, can I express my thanks to you uh, as a congregation for being able to be here today and especially my thanks to uh, Stanley and Ruth for their hospitality on your behalf. Uh, it's a ministry that maybe isn't thought of, but it takes effort to look after men, men who are coming to preach and to get them something to eat and Stanley and Ruth fulfilled that responsibility exceptionally well today so thank you. Verses 4 to 8 then of Acts chapter 8. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, four unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Kandasi, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, And like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip, was fu- but Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Again, this is the word of the Lord. Some years ago, there was a... An advertisement on the television. It was advertising a weekly educational magazine for children, and it was called The Human Body. Uh, I don't know whether any of you remember it or if any of you purchased it for those who were maybe your children at the time. Uh, Certainly, it looked like a very interesting uh, uh, purchase. One of the things about this was that it came out in a promotional edition and then there were subsequent editions after that. And in the promotional edition, uh, what it did was it gave the reader detailed information about different parts of the human body. What each part was called, where it was to be found in the body, how it worked and how important it was. And if my memory serves me right, I believe that along with each edition, you received a small plastic replica of the particular part of the body that was being highlighted in that edition. And the idea was that you collected the parts of the body and you stuck them into the little figure that you got in the promotional first edition and that eventually, after whatever number of weeks, you would have this little Doll with all the different parts of the body, and you would learn a little bit about anatomy. Well, this morning we thought about the anatomy of forgiving love, and this evening we're back to anatomy again, and we're going to be thinking about the anatomy of an effective evangelist. The anatomy of an effective evangelist. And the reason that we're going to do that is because I want you to imagine. A religious magazine being published and the title of the magazine is The Evangelist. So you're all going to run out now and buy a copy whenever it comes into the bookshop. And the first promotional edition of this magazine you are given a free little plastic model of what is called ordinary Christian. Okay so you've got your model of ordinary Christian And the promotional material says, transform this ordinary Christian into an effective evangelist. And the thing that you notice about the little model of the ordinary Christian is that there are various parts of his anatomy missing. Parts which, so the literature goes, will be given to you over the next few weeks with each copy of the magazine that you buy and which, when incorporated into the model, will gradually transform this ordinary Christian into an effective evangelist. Well, you go along to your local Christian bookstore, you buy your copy of The Evangelist, you come home, and when you open it up, not only do you find inside your little first missing piece for your model, but there's an article that accompanies it. And you discover that this whole idea... Of this particular uh, book, this particular magazine is based upon Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. And each month, it's going to tell you a little bit about Philip and how this makes an ordinary Christian into an effective evangelist. So this evening, we're thinking about the anatomy of an effective evangelist. And what's the first piece of body that you're given in this little model that you're going to put it into? Well, you discover it's a pair of ears, and they look just like anybody else's ears. But you're told that these are very special ears, because these ears, it says, are ears that are sensitive to the voice of God. Ears that are sensitive to the voice of God. And the substance of the article goes something like this. Here you have Philip, and he's doing a great work in Samaria. He's been there preaching the gospel, the crowds of people. He's been performing miracles. People are being healed. More importantly, people are being converted The Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the believers. The prevailing atmosphere in the city is one of great joy. Things are going really, really well. And I have no doubt that in that situation, Philip was looking forward to staying on there and continuing the work which he had begun, looking forward to seeing more people being converted, looking forward to seeing those who were converted being built up as Things were further explained and more teaching was given. And in the midst of all of this, God comes and he says to Philip, I want you to move. He wants Philip to leave this city and go down the main Jerusalem to Gaza road, a lonely, dry, dusty desert road. Verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now we're not told that Philip was given any information whatsoever at this stage with respect to why he had to leave the city of Samaria and what work God had for him in store to where he was going. Philip hadn't an idea. All he knew was God spoke to him God revealed his will to him and God made it clear that he was to move. God wanted him to go. We're told that God spoke to him through an angel. But Luke doesn't give us an awful lot of information about that. We're not given details of how or when this communication took place. Did it happen at night? In a dream? Or was it a daytime vision? Something like what uh, peter had uh, with regards to cornelius we don't know whether he actually saw an angel and heard him speak or whether the angel spoke without actually manifesting himself visibly to philip we're not given those details because we don't need to have them all we know is and all we need to know is philip was convinced god was speaking to him and god wanted him to leave this city and to head south towards gaza While he was working in a city where his ministry was bearing great fruit, he was nevertheless open to and willing to listen to the voice of God. Later on in verse 29, God once again comes and he speaks to Philip, this time in relation to the man in the chariot that Philip sees as he's making his way along the Gaza Road go near and join yourself to this chariot or better go over to the chariot and stay near to it. And this time we're told that God the whole God spoke not by an angel but by his spirit. So there was definitely no visible manifestation for Philip to see but he knew God was speaking. So either in his head he heard God speaking to him or he had just some strong impression, that this is what God was wanting to do, but one thing was sure: Philip knew God was speaking to him, and He wanted him to approach this chariot. And this was God's will. And the thing we have to think about is this: Philip would never have met this man; would never have witnessed to him. This man would never have been converted. If we trace the narrative back, and Philip hadn't listened to what God was saying, his meeting of this man, let alone his opportunity for witnessing to him, was very much conditional upon him being open to what God was saying to him and sensitive to God's leading. Philip had ears that were sensitive. To the voice of God so I take my little pair of plastic ears and I stick them into the wee plastic model that I've been given and as I do so I see yes he's starting to change but as I put those little ears onto the model a thought suddenly comes to me have I got ears that are sensitive to the voice of God Amidst all the other things that clamor for my attention day in and day out and want to impress themselves upon my heart and my mind, amidst all the hustle and bustle of everyday life, am I actually listening for God speaking to me and revealing his mind to me? Now, don't be panicking. I'm not talking about a voice coming down through the ceiling, you know, and actually hearing the voice of God. We don't believe that's how God reveals himself in these days. But we have to admit there are times whenever God does speak to us through his word. He speaks to us through his spirit, impressing upon us things that we know we ought to do because they are biblical. There's been times when I've been with non-Christians, friends, family members, people with whom I run, socialize and it's almost as if there's this strong inner compulsion to bring the conversation round to spiritual matters could it be that is god wanting me to witness to that person and maybe i wasn't listening to his voice because i didn't have ears that were sensitive to the voice of god and an opportunity goes wasting. And as I stick those ears into that wee model, I should be thinking to myself, God, give me ears that are sensitive to the voice of God. And then having bought that edition, we can't wait till the next month's edition comes out. So we run up to the Covenant or Bookshop. Other book places sell books as well. You have to say that these days, don't you? Um, and I buy my second edition. And I open it up, and I'm keen to see what the next wee bit of anatomy is. And as I open it and tear the package open, there's a heart. But it's not just an ordinary heart. It's a special heart. Because on the wee bit of paper inside the plastic, it says, this is a heart that is submissive to the will of God. A heart that is submissive to the will of God. Now, think about Philip's situation. On the human level, there were various factors which, humanly speaking, would have made it difficult for Philip to submit to God's will in this matter. The call to leave where he was, Samaria, and go down the desert road to Gaza seemed totally irrational think about it samaria is teeming with people not only that the people are showing a real interest in the message that philip is preaching the road to gaza (laughs) who's he likely to meet on that road it's a desert road What opportunities would he have to share the good news with people there? It seemed so irrational. Similarly, it seemed irrational because, well, things were going so well in this city at this time. People were being converted, people were being healed. There was great joy in the city. I think we can understand that a church most likely had been established, people were hungry for the word surely it would be much more sensible to stay on where he is. Make the most of the situation. Not only that, Philip was a human being. Perhaps while he was in Samaria, he had begun to have a great affinity and love and concern for the people to whom he was currently ministering. And maybe the thought of moving away from them to some other work just wasn't on his agenda at this time. We're not told whether Philip wrestled with such factors, but he's a human being. In all likelihood, something like this must have come into his mind. But here's the point once he knew God's will, he submitted to it. Look at verse 27. So, that is, having heard what God wanted to say, he arose and went. And if he hadn't gone, or if he had said to himself, well, I need to sit and pray about this for a week, even though it was God was speaking to him. I mean, why do you need to pray whenever God has told you what you want to do? But anyway, if he had said to himself, I need to wait for a week and think about this and pray about it, he wouldn't have met this man. The Ethiopian would have been away home. This wonderful opportunity of witnessing to this important and influential man was very much related to and dependent upon his submissiveness of heart to the revealed will of God and his obedience. God speaks to Philip and he says, Here's what I want you to do. This is where I want you to go. And Philip arose and went. You see the same thing in verse as he's walking along the desert road he sees a chariot approaching him picture the scene he's walking along chariot approaches and in that chariot there's a man seated and he's surrounded by a retinue of attendants because this man would not have been traveling on his own sort of Rishi Sunak and all the hangers on you know going through in his chariot he's obviously some high ranking dignitary from a foreign country and the Holy Spirit says to Philip Go over to the chariot and keep alongside it. And Philip, we are told, ran over to him. Now again, on the human level, think about it. Philip might have thought to himself, well, it would be awful rude to go over and just, you know, say hello to this man. He might not want me to be bothering him. Philip doesn't do that. He doesn't rationalise away. What he knows God wants him to do. He simply submits to God's will and obeys his voice. And as he does so, and as he comes alongside the chariot, he discovers the man is reading one of the scrolls of the Old Testament. Isaiah. What a coincidence! You don't believe in coincidence in Trinity Shees, don't no right, okay. Not a coincidence. A God ordained and predetermined, wonderful opportunity to speak to this man about Jesus. You see, folks, it wasn't enough for Philip to know God's will. He had to submit to it and to obey it. And it was in the obeying of what he knew to be the will of God that he was to have the joy not only of witnessing to this man, but of seeing this man come to personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I stick that little heart into the wee model. And I ask myself, Robert, Rob, have you got a heart that is submissive to the will of God? And I ask you, have you got a heart that's submissive to the will of God as God's will is revealed? Now, with regards to evangelism, we know God's will. Doesn't need to speak to us through their afters, big voice booming. We know it is God's will for us as individuals and for us collectively as congregations to take the message of the gospel to people around us, whether it's individuals or whether it's our local community. God has revealed his will. You will be my witnesses. He wants us to engage in individual one-to-one witnessing with our unconverted loved ones, friends, family members, workmates, neighbors, fellow pupils. He wants us to tell them what great things the Lord has done for us. And he comes to you folk here in Trinidad. And he says, I want you to evangelize this area and share the good news with others. And he's not just talking to a handful of you. He's talking to all of you. This is how the gospel goes out. Go and proclaim the gospel. Be lights in the world. Hold forth the word of life in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation? We know God's will in relation to this question and this subject. The question is, are we submissive to the known will of God? Have you got a heart that is submissive to God's will? Whenever you as a congregation organize maybe a program by which you endeavor to fulfill this will of God, by taking the gospel to the people in this area around Newton Abbey? Whether it's by literature distribution, whether it's by children's Bible clubs, whether it's by door to door work, whether it's by whatever means. Are you involved in it? Are you one who sits in the sidelines? Do you, knowing what God wants you to do, actually do what God wants you to do? Get involved in some tangible way in that work? Or do you rationalize away your responsibility and on so doing manifest by your lack of involvement your unsubmissive heart? Because an effective evangelist has a heart that's submissive to the will of God. And this, brethren, is where the rubber hits the road as we say. This is one area where the true spiritual state of our hearts is tested and revealed. Or take it on a level where you're doing one-to-one witnessing. What about those times when you're with an unconverted person, family member, friend, workmate, whoever it happens to be? Have you never felt at times a, a sort of an inner prompting to, to turn the thing round to spiritual matters and then maybe as, as, you, as you get this impression, do you then allow your ears to listen to other promptings that are saying, don't be talking because they'll think you're weird talking about Bible stuff. Don't be talking, it'll, it'll ruin your friendship with them. Don't be talking to that person at work because you're not at on with him or her anymore. Don't be talking to that person who goes to your school. They'll, they'll not want to be friends with you anymore if you start talking about Jesus. And so a golden opportunity that you might have had goes missing. Gordon Carey, in his book on the book of Acts, writes this. It is not so much more common for us to hesitate to fear causing offense. Sorry, it is so much more common for us to hesitate, to fear causing offense, to feel we are intruding. In other words, to be self-conscious to the degree that we hold back and lose the moment for potentially fruitful contact. He goes on, Philip acted on the principle, listen to this, Philip acted on the principle that the road to Gaza could be the road to hell for that Ethiopian if he shirked his evangelistic responsibility. I think that's a brilliant quote. He acted on the principle that the road to Gaza could be the road to hell if he shirked his evangelistic responsibility. And maybe one of the reasons, I don't know, but maybe one of the reasons why we as Christians don't have the joy which Philip had of seeing this Ethiopian converted as a result of our witnessing is because we're not taking the opportunities to witness that God sets before us from time to time. He says, Speak! And we keep our mouths shut. So we take the wee heart and we stick it into the model. And we pray, Lord, please give me such a heart. So we've got two pieces in place. There's only two more editions to go. So we run up and we've got a third edition. We're keen to see what's in it this time. And this time we tear it open and inside there's this wee brain. And written all over the brain with all its wee curves and stuff are, are little miniature verses of Scripture. And we see that it's a mind that is full of the word of God. A mind that is full of the word of God. This wee model needs that, so we stick it in. And the wee article that goes beside it points us to verse 35 of Acts 8. And beginning at that very scripture, he preached unto him Jesus. As Philip draws near the chariot, in which this distinguished traveler is sitting, he hears him reading from the prophecy of Isaiah. Apparently it was quite common in those days to read aloud while you were going along in your chariot or wherever you were going along in. And knowing that he was reading the scriptures, Philip then very politely asked him, Do you understand what you're reading? And the passage, of course, is Isaiah 53, which speaks about the suffering servant of Jehovah. And the eunuch shows considerable humility and he admits his ignorance with regards to what the prophet is talking about. And he says to Philip, come on you up into my chariot and explain what's going on here in this passage. And Philip began at that very scripture to preach unto him Jesus Gordon Carey again. Philip scratched where it itched. He started at the very point at which this man had a question. But in order to do this, he, Philip, had to know the scriptures. In other words, Philip had such a working knowledge of the word of God as he had it then, that he was able to take the passage that Eunuch was reading and about which he was asking questions, and he was able to show from that passage how it related to and how the things spoken of in this passage were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure that Philip said an awful lot more than what's recorded in the book of Acts. Don't forget that what we'll have here is a synopsis He might have talked to the Ethiopian eunuch for an hour or two, for all we know. I'm sure that Philip must have been able to open up this passage and show him Christ in it. But here's the point. Philip could only do that because his mind was filled with and he understood the Scriptures. He was familiar with their content and he knew their meaning, and thus he was able to explain them in terms of Christ. He had a Christocentric centric approach to reading his Bible. And he didn't pull out a concordance, and he didn't get his smartphone and look it up on Google to find out what was happening and what this passage meant. It was in here. He was well versed in the word of God, and he had the ability to bring his personal knowledge of the word to bear upon this situation that he found himself in. Imagine, just imagine, what might have happened if the Ethiopian eunuch had said, what's this about? And Philip said, no idea. I've never read that part of the Bible before. No idea what it is. If that had been the case, things would have turned out very, very different. But he proved to be an effective evangelist. And looking at it from the human point of view, one of the things that contributed to his effectiveness was that he had a mind that was filled with the Word of God. Now we know ultimately it's the work of the Spirit. Of course it is. But he works through means. And folks, if we're going to be effective evangelists, if we're going to be effective witnesses for Christ... One of the things that's going to have to happen in the church is that God's people are going to have to get down to some serious learning of the Bible. Now, we're not too bad in some of our congregations in the RP church, but in others, knowledge of the Scriptures is woeful. And I don't know what it's like in other churches beyond the RP church. I often wonder how many Christians could open up the Bible and explain to an unbeliever the salient points of the gospel, turning to passage after passage, book after book, chapter and verse, to show clearly we're all sinners before God, that we're all under the condemnation of the wrath of God, that there is nothing at all that we can do of ourselves to change our guilty state, that there is only one way of salvation, that that salvation is inseparably connected with the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that he has lived the perfect life of obedience, that he has died a substitutionary atoning death on the cross, that he has been raised from the dead. I mean, are we able to do that? Do we have such a knowledge, a working knowledge of the Bible, that if an opportunity presented itself to you tomorrow morning, you would be able, from the Bible, to show people the message of the gospel in a very clear way? In many cases, I think the answer would be no. But if you listen to Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, when they seek to win converts, they know their stuff. Now, it's heresy, of course. But they know it very, very well. They can turn to chapter and verse and book and chapter and verse and book. Why? Because they have given themselves to the study of this with a view to gaining converts. They're diligent. We need to be more diligent in learning the scriptures that we might effectively use them. And so we place a wee bit of plastic brain covered in texts of Scripture into this model. And as we do so, we're reminded of the need for such a knowledge of the Word of God. And we're challenged, are we not, in our lack and in our deficiency in some ways in this area. And we pray, Lord, help me to grow in my knowledge of your Word and in my ability to use your word. In my witnessing. And the ordinary Christian is nearly complete. But there's one other part. And we're not sure what it is. But we'll go and get our last edition. And we go up and we get it. And we rip it open. And we discover that it's a mouth. But it's a special mouth. It's a mouth which communicates the gospel of God. And when we look at it, the, the little mouth is actually shaped in such a way that it's opened and not closed. And the accompanying article directs your attention to the verse 35 because it says, Philip opened his mouth and preached unto him Jesus. If you've got the NIV, it'll not say that. Don't ask me Why? because it's certainly original. <laughs> he opened his mouth and preached unto him Jesus. Of course, you can't communicate the gospel without opening your mouth. Some people think you can evangelize by your life. That's a cop-out. You can pre-evangelize by your life. You can by your life get an opportunity to tell people why you live like this. But people watching your life will never save them. Your lived out life will never of itself save anyone. People must hear the message of the gospel because faith comes through hearing, not by mime acting. Hearing, and if they're to hear, we're to speak. Philip actually spoke to this man, he conversed with him about this subject. And when the opportunity to do so presented itself to Philip, he didn't go all shy and embarrassed and become tongue tied, he began to speak of this man, Jesus. The King James has, He preached unto him, Jesus. But well, it's not preaching in the sense that I'm preaching tonight. It's the same word that's used in another part of the book of Acts. Chapter 4 of this, sorry, verse 4 of this very chapter. They therefore were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the good news. Well, they didn't all stand up in pulpits and preach. They went about gossiping the gospel as it's been translated. Philip had a mouth that was ready and keen to communicate the gospel. And what about us? Well, all of us have mouths. All of us are quick and ready to use our mouths when it comes to speaking about football, running, cricket, rugby, the economy, politics, weather, our family, computers. Our problem isn't, is, is not that we can't talk. Sometimes our problem is that we can't shut up. <laughs> but when it comes to the gospel, sometimes our problem is that we don't speak. The mouth that opens so easily when it comes to all those other subjects suddenly comes wedged shut. And we have what I call spiritual intermittent lockjaw. And that condition is only relieved whenever the subject gets away to something we're more comfortable talking about like how Man United get on at the weekend. And if we're to become effective witnesses for Christ, effective evangelists, we need... An open mouth. A mouth that is ready and willing to communicate the gospel to others. So we've been up to the bookshop, we've bought all our magazines, and we've got this little ordinary Christian. And look, he is completely transformed. Now he's an effective evangelist. Because he's got what is needed listening ears, a submissive heart. An open mouth, and whatever the other one was, I can't remember what it was. <laughs> Thank you. Somebody's listening. But brethren, this is, in all seriousness, so very important. If we want our churches to grow. We have to witness. And it's not enough to stick flowers through doors. Yes, God uses that. Yes, there have been the odd one or two who've come. We need to get close to people. We need to be listening for God speaking to us. Not in the modern day Pentecostal method. Giving us opportunities to go to people. We have to have a heart that's willing to do what God wants us to do. We have to have a brain that is full of God's word so that we can use the scriptures and we have to communicate that message by opening our mouths. And at the end of this study, surely our prayer is, Lord, change me from being an ordinary Christian and make me into an effective evangelist for the glory of Christ. Amen.